worthy to our Lord Jesus Christ, who alone is worthy of our praise for his salvation. It's wonderful. I love you. And we're joining together today to look in his word. As we do that, as you're turning to Matthew chapter 7, I hope as you were moving around the building today and in Sunday school, you saw this sign up, the word how. And I was hoping it provoked you to go, how, what? Well, the word how is to ask this question, how are you as an individual, and how are you and your Sunday school class as a small group working to use the unique, individual, beautiful, Christ-like gifts that every believer has to build the kingdom, to reach the lost, to encourage the saints, and to call upon God that he may help us. How are you doing that? I want to ask you to personalize this. How am I using my personal spiritual gifts for the glory of God at Kingsville Baptist Church and particularly within my Sunday school class. I hope that that thought will follow you through as your class meets, as it plans, as it carries out this beautiful ministry called Tools, equipping every Sunday school class to be kingdom-building, teaching God's Word, reaching people, and caring for one another. That's a great joy in Sunday school. I love teaching Sunday school. I love taking part in it. Also, in your bulletin, you received today this little work list. After our last work day, when we were at Tioga Elementary a few weeks ago, we were asked by a lot of folks, hey, can you give us a heads up on what we're going to be doing and how we're going to be doing it and what tools would be needed to do that task? So next Sunday night, we'll be gathering again at Tioga Elementary School. We'll be spending an hour and a half or more together in ministry And you have a great big list of what you can do and what tools are needed. And then next Sunday morning after church, there will be sign-up tables for you to say, hey, I'd like to take part in that task. Or you can take this today and mark what you would like to do, sign your name, and we will assign you to that area. And you can drop it on one of the front tables as you leave today or put it in one of the staff's hands That would be great, or even bring it by the church office this week. This is a great opportunity. You saw from our video and from the testimony of Becky Pippin and the students what a joy it was. I was able to go back over there this week and share more time with them and just to hear the good report from the great job you did. We had over 100 people go and participate. We're hoping to break that and maybe get around 120 or 125. We have plenty of work to do. So uh, get ready, and we're going to serve the Lord together. You probably noticed this morning when Steve read the Scripture, you thought, wow, we camped last week on that one little short passage, and then Steve read it again this week. Does that mean we're going to be there again? Yes, it does, because as I pondered through this last week, how I had approached it, I thought I left out, I left a big gaping hole in my presentation, and I pondered it because of some things that happened this week and the week before, and I thought we would be able to look together back in Matthew chapter 7. And if you remember last week, we spent time kind of 
unpacking this passage. Do not give what is holy to dogs. Do not throw your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you into pieces. We can't kind of camp there together. And we saw that this isn't about not giving the gospel to the world. The pigs and the dogs are those untamable animals that are dangerous. Uh, it wasn't about withholding the gospel from dangerous people. It wasn't about that at all. It was about not looking to the world individually for your sense of appraisal, being sized up, measure me up, what do you think, or approval, tell me what you think, or acceptance, include me, or even applause. We realize that the individual is not to go to the world to look for that. Those things come from Christ alone. And that giving this holy self and this holy testimony and the holy things of God over to the world for their approval is not what Jesus wants us to do. Those things are approved by God and by spiritual beings, uh, people who know the truth. But there was a hole I left in that. And that was, okay, we talked about it individually, me. But we didn't talk about it corporately, us, Christians, the church. How does this relate to the life and the ministry of the church. And so I wanted to break this into a few parts today. If you'll grab your outline and take a look at that, I'm pulling mine out. I've got a lot of paperwork here with me today because of some things that I need to share. And so as I shuffle around, give me a lot of grace in that because some things I just had to print off and read directly to you. Um, As a church, we are living in a world that is set against God. The church, through our life, I was born in 1962, you can do the math, Um, and some of you were born before 62. How many of you were born before 62? Okay, let's kind of look around, all right? How many of you were born after 62? Okay, so it may be about half and half here. I may be in the middle. I may be kind of split in the middle here. Okay, in... In my lifetime, in your lifetime, uh, the church has held pretty good standing in American society. We've had reasonable freedom, and uh, we've exercised our freedom openly. Religious liberty has been um, a part of the American psyche, the American uh, experience, even the American the U.S. Constitution. Uh, but, but things are changing today. And I think that when we talk about throwing your pearls before swines, swine, um, casting your, your, this holy thing before dogs, we, we spoke about the individual looking for these things from the world, but we failed to really talk about how churches have the same problem. How churches are really challenged today with how society views them, what they believe, and how they're going to adapt to that. Some people, their adaptation as individuals has been to be like chameleons. You know, chameleons that change color uh, based on their environment, and they just kind of adapt. And, and we've seen that at the individual level, but But the danger is is that we are seeing that at the church level. And so I wanted to break this into three parts. The first is to just ask this question, 
uh, or make the statement to take a look at what we are facing in the future. What we're facing. So that's the first part of our outline is what we're facing in the future. We need to think about this in light of, I want to just share four things with you today that will maybe help you see that it's different today. Um, I will say that they are in order of um, gravity or seriousness. Every one of them is important, but each one has a little bit different take. The first example I want to share with you is from Hillsong Church. Hillsong is a network of churches. They are evangelical churches. They're kind of, I don't, it's a weird word, but they're kind of hipster churches. And uh, they're real popular. There's about 30,000 people weekly gathering in Hillsong churches all over the world. And so it's kind of fast, rapid growing. And um, this past week, or over the last two weeks really, the head pastor of the Hillsong movement um, and the local pastor of the New York City church got into the news first um, on Huffington Post, which is not exactly the best source for reliable information, but they did get on the news there. And here's um, the first wave or the first kind of problem I see with the church today casting its pearls before swine or giving what is holy to the dogs is what I call ambivalence. Ambivalence about the truth. Here's a direct quote from uh, Pastor Lentz, who is the pastor of the New York City Church. He said, Jesus was in the thick of an era where homosexuality, just like it is today, was widely prevalent. And I'm still waiting for someone to show me the quote where Jesus addressed it on record in front of people. It's not our place, his wife says, to tell anyone how they should live. That's their journey. Now, Brian Houston added to that, the head pastor of the whole Hillsong movement, He said, it can be challenging for churches to stay relevant because many mainstream churches upheld what they would believe is the long-established view of what the Bible says about homosexuality. But the world has changed around and about them. On the subject, I always feel like there's three things. There's the world we live in, there's the weight we live with, and there's the word we live by. The world, the weight, and the word. There's the world we live in, the weight we live with, and the word we live by, and they don't all necessarily align. The word we live by, many people have various convictions. In the middle of it all, know that Jesus, when it comes to people, would not let nothing, excuse me, would let nothing stop him from breaking through a divide to help hurting, broken, everyday, normal people like you and I. Now, the challenge is, is that these men are stating what is called ambivalence. If you'll line up his three points, the world we live in, the weight we live with, the world we live in, the sinful world, the weight we live with, our own sinful struggles, and the word we live by, he says they don't always line up. Now, the problem with his ambivalence is he does not believe that the word we live by has authority to speak 
to the weight that we live with or the world we live in. And so his ambivalence is to say, since Jesus did not directly address this issue, it's not an issue we'll address. This is what Al Mohler calls the third way on homosexuality. The first way is be against it. The second way is be for it. And the third way is to be ambivalent and make no statement about it. This is the beginning of the three things. Now, he did come back later and say that he believed that the writing of Paul are clear on this subject, but he didn't state what that clarity was that Paul wrote. You can follow that up if you just Google it. That's the first. That's ambivalence. Okay. The second thing that we're facing is not only churches that are ambivalent because the world around them is pressuring them and they're wanting to cast their pearls and give that as holy to the, to the world so that the world can analyze it and either accept or reject them. The second is um, what happened to inner varsity Christian campus ministry in California. Now, if you've been around very long in the United States, you know that trends start in California. That's how it is. Starts in California, West Coast, then it jumps to the East Coast. It hits New York, then D.C., and then it spreads into the heartland and goes all over. So California typically leads social trends. Well, the California, University of California school system, 23 campuses, 450,000 students, de-recognized InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, which is a strong godly, biblical campus ministry. And it de-recognized them for a particular reason. The particular reason is that InterVarsity Christian Fellowship expected the leaders, the president of the university campus ministry, the student leaders in the university campus ministry, and the group leaders in the university campus ministry to live by Christian standards. California school system ruled that that is bigoted, that to expect sexual morality from the leaders in your group is a bigoted, sexist, and discriminatory practice. And so they de-recognized. Now, what does that mean, de-recognized? It means they lost their campus ministry buildings, They lost their campus ministry meeting places. They lost their campus ministry recognition, their campus ministry representation on councils. They lost any affiliation with the school whatsoever, which comes out to tens of thousands of dollars a year, maybe into the 50s and 60s on some campuses, to rent rooms and to use facilities that before they were provided. And so they were were kicked off for this. Now, this is what I call mild, indirect intimidation. So you got ambivalence in a church evangelical, 30,000 strong, all over the world. You have ambivalence. Now you have indirect intimidation. Well, there's a third thing that's recently happened that makes this even more so. It's the case of New Heart Community Church in La Mirada, California. 
New Heart's pastor, Danny Cortez, led his church to declare that homosexual marriage was right, proper, and recognized in the eyes of God. Now, before you get too wacky on that, this is a Southern Baptist church. This is SBC. That we as Southern Baptists, you know, at some point along the way, helped plant and start and all those things. And he did so after his son came out that he was identifying himself, not simply saying he struggled with homosexuality, but identifying himself openly as a homosexual man. And so they made that decision. Now, this is complete collapse. You've got ambivalence, and then you've got indirect intimidation. Now you've got complete collapse, where a Southern Baptist church with a Baptist faith and message and a Bible right in front of them said, this is all good and fine, and we'll recognize these kinds of unions, and we'll take part in, in hosting that and fostering that and teaching that and welcoming that in our fellowship. And so... Um, now, the SBC disfellowshipped them. They practiced what we call church discipline, except they practiced it on a whole church. And they disfellowshipped them. It was very sad. It's a sorrowful thing. These are human beings. These are some folks that are very, very compassionate people, but it was, it was a meltdown. So that's the third thing. Now, I'd say that these things are increasing in their severity, and, and they are, um, if you email me, I'll be glad to provide links to all of these articles so that you could do further research. But now I want to take up with you the final issue um, that I think is worth today. I have in my hands um, the subpoena from Houston, Texas, from the leaders of the office of the mayor and the legal team. I have in my hand a... Um, how many pages is this? Let's see. A 12-page subpoena that was issued to pastors in Houston, Texas this past week. Houston was um, facing a, a pretty radical change. That change was a law that had all kinds of ins and outs, but one of the dangers that they saw was that there was this inclusion of transgendered people in restrooms, which meant that a, a man, if he felt like it on that day, may choose and may be legally able to enter the women's restroom, and that that was going to be a loophole in the law, and that in so doing, churches were going to be affected by that. I don't know if you've kind of thought that through, but ladies, when you're in the restroom, the, the idea of a guy dropping in is just not on your radar. And so the churches banded together and they, they, they networked and they brought a petition before the council with a sufficient number of signatures to get it on the ballot. That's all they wanted to do is let the people choose. Let's get this on the ballot and let the people choose. Well, through some legal wrangling, they refused the petition, and then the, a few of the pastors who were part of that sued the city, not for damages, they simply sued them to get it on the ballot. 
Well, the outcome was is that the city retaliated on the pastors by issuing a subpoena to pastors. Now, let me tell you what was subpoenaed by the city and what was asked of the pastors. And I want you to think this through because this is, this is pretty strong. Document. This is what's being subpoenaed. Documents. And this is the definition. Document and documents means all documents and tangible things in the broadest sense allowed by Rule 192.3b and Comment 2 of the Texas Rules of Civil Procedure and include but are not limited to any writings, drawings, graphs, charts, photographs, phonograph records, tape recordings, notes, diaries, calendars, checkbooks, books, papers, accounts, electronic or video recordings, and any computer-generated, computer-stored, or electronically stored matter that constitute or contain matters relevant to the subject matter of the lawsuit. The terms include but are not limited to emails, instant messages, text messages, or other responsive data or information that exists in electronic or magnetic form, and such responsive data should be produced pursuant of Rule 196.4 of the Texas Rules of Civil Procedure. Communications means every direct or indirect disclosure, receipt, transfer, exchange of information, inquiry, or opinion, however made, whether oral, visual, in writing, otherwise, including, without limitation, any conversation or discussion by means of letter, note, package, invoice, statement, notice, memorandum, inter-office correspondence, telephone, telegraph, email, I don't use a telegraph, email, Telex, telecopies, text message, instant message, cable communicating data processors, or some other medium. But what were they asking for in all that? Well, here's what they were asking for. All speeches, presentations, or sermons related to the HERO Act, the petition, Mayor Anise Parker, homosexuality, or gender identity, prepared by, delivered by, revised by, or approved by you, or in your possession, all documents, studies, information, communications, or other data relied on in con connection with this petition. I want you to think that through for a minute. That means if you had texted me just recently struggling with homosexuality, if you texted me and you said, Pastor Bart, look, or you'd emailed me and you said, look, I'm really struggling with this, and I'd texted you back. And I'd said, or I'd emailed you back and said, well, here's what the Bible says, and I want you to know I'm praying for you, and, and here's what I think will be a good plan of dealing with this. And by the way, this happens in this church. Okay? We have a lot of brothers and sisters who are in here who struggle with same-sex attraction. Okay? That means I would have to turn over my correspondence with you to the government. I want you to think that through. Because when you text me, when you write me, you expect that it's a private conversation. And many of you have entrusted a great deal to me. And what's happening in this moment is that this subpoena is being issued as a direct threat of intimidation against churches who speak about sexuality and gender issues. This is a grave issue. Now, I'm not a fear monger. You, you guys and gals have been with me for seven years. You know, I'm not running around doing the skies falling thing, okay? Every time something happens in Israel, I don't go into a bunker. 
All right? But this stuff's serious. This is a real court case with real pastors and real intimidation. Now, you heard in the news that they backed off of this, but they only took the word sermons out. They didn't take out text messages or direct messages or instant messages or emails. And so this is a very serious case. What we're facing, and I think we just need to be really honest, is we're facing a shift where the church is being made the bad guy in society. And, 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 and so this is serious. And so I wanted, to, I wanted to kind of bring you up to speed. If you email me, I'll be glad to provide you any of these documents um, and, and send them to you. Uh, and let you read them, I would love for you to be able to read them yourself. So the first thing was what we're up against, okay, what we're facing. Number two, why we're facing it. Um, Pastor Johnny Hunt has a really good statement. Uh, He says, you know, in the movies you hear people say, follow the money, follow the money. No, follow the sin. What's happening is, is that the church which has served as the conscience for the government and the nation, no longer is desired to serve in issues of conscience. And so, because of the great sin of the society, they're seeing the church as a light shining in the darkness, revealing what is sinful. And so they're pressing back. And I want to take you to a particular text that's important. Um, And it's in... uh, the, The first one I'll take you to uh, I've got several I want to read to you, but um, let's, let's start in 1 Corinthians. And I'm going to take you there for a minute and maybe give you um, some things to think about. I'm greatly burdened by this because I think it's kind of like a shot across the bow of the church to see how we're going to react. And I think we need to be really careful. A lot of the explosions we saw on the internet this week were not helpful. Uh, And so we have to be really careful how we respond. But I want you to come in with knowledge about why we're not handing the identity of the church and the holy glory of who we are and the the precious value of our pearls to to the society. Because the society, well, let's go to verse 14 of chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians. Verse 14. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. This is important. The world is living without the Holy Spirit of God. Therefore, the things that the church is and does and believes and holds dear, the doctrines of truth, the doctrines that we think are important, the doctrines that are... are, are, uh, relevant to all the texts of Scripture, the, the world looks at those and their foolishness. So we should not expect the world to say, boy, that's just smart what the church is doing, preaching the gospel and telling people that they should repent of their sins and come to Jesus who will save anyone from anything. It's not really smart. And so it's foolishness. Because they don't have the capacity to understand. They don't have the Spirit of God. 
which we do, and we're thankful for that, and we're blessed by it. And so the first thing we need to know that we're dealing with, why are we dealing with it? Because the church is under the deception of Satan. The church lies in the power of the evil one, John says. And the, the church is, is, is living as if they are children of, excuse me, the world is living as if the, and I probably just substituted the wrong word, the world is lying under the power of the evil one, and the world is in this darkness, and they're living as if they are, because they are spiritual children of the devil. This is very serious. And so, that's part of why we're dealing with, with what we're dealing with. Um, come to Matthew 14 for a moment. And I want to just take a quick note there because sometimes within the church, and, and after this we're going to Acts 20, so don't let me forget that. And, and then I'm going to wrap us up with some things I think we can and should do. In Matthew 14, we have the story of John the Baptist being beheaded. If you go to verse 3 of chapter 14, it says, For when Herod had John arrested, he bound him and put him in prison on account of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip. For John had been saying to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. Now think this through. Here is a minister speaking to the government on moral issues. Here's a Christian... I guess you could call John a Christian. He's a follower of the Messiah. Here's a Christian speaking to the world on moral issues. A lot of folks within and without the church say, the church has no business getting into that. Well, the church is called to proclaim repentance, and we can't proclaim repentance if we don't tell people what they need to repent from. And so we step in, and here's what he does. He says, you're blowing marriage up. You're ruining the idea of marriage. You're soiling the idea of what God intended and God designed and God built. And so he he spoke to him and said, you can't do this. And so they got mad at him and they cut his head off. And so as we navigate this, it's real easy to be intimidated back into the corner to say, you guys don't speak on moral issues just be quiet and do your little church thing and do your little community projects and go on about your business. And that's really what the world wants. And so part of the reason why we're in this is the world is under this darkness. It's under this deception. It's, it's under this, this inability to, to, to appraise spiritual things. They can't appraise our pearls and they don't know holy meat from, from trash. And so the, there's this, this, uh, this idea that we're battling with and the pressure is just beginning. I think these are the birth pangs, the first labor of something that's coming that's going to be unpleasant for the church. And in Acts 20, the Apostle Paul tells us how the church is going to have to navigate these things. So I want to spend just a minute there before I tell us some things we should do. In Acts 20, the Apostle Paul's getting ready to leave, and eventually it's going to lead to his death. And he's going to leave the area of Ephesus, and so he calls the Ephesian elders, the elders of the church there, he's going to call them together, and he's going to talk to them. And he's going to tell them two particular things. 
one great big thing other than those two particular things. So let's take a look. He's getting ready to leave, and he says in verse 28 of Acts 20. Put put your finger there for a second. He says, Be on the guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. That's the great big thing. The church belongs to Jesus. He bought her with his blood, so we, we need to be good stewards of her. Verse 29, he says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. So there's something from the outside coming in to tear at us. But he goes on and says, And from among your own selves men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. The two things that I gave you today are the two illustrations. I gave you four things two from the church, two from the world. The two from the church are men rising from among us speaking perverse things. The two from the world are the savage wolves coming in seeking to devour the flock. And so the Apostle Paul says we wrestle with the things that come from within, from those who claim to be believers who are going to skew the doctrines And those from the outside are going to come in and going to attack viciously the doctrines and the people who hold to them. And so this is a very serious time in the the life of the church. So what do we do? So let's let's go to number three. And and I think we can do this pretty quickly. How should we respond? Um, There's one verse that just sums it up. It's in Peter's writing. He says, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, in order that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers. Now, I want you to think this through. This is 1 Peter 2, 12. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers. What does that mean? Well, just as in that day, today, what is intervarsity is being called evildoers for holding the idea that sexual morality and purity are actually a qualification for leadership in Christian organizations. The government in Houston is coming against the church as if they were lawbreakers and evildoers. And so, what's happening here is that he's saying, when that comes, don't be a knucklehead. If we become knuckleheads and start responding according to the flesh, like the stuff I saw on the internet this week, then we simply give the enemy more ammunition to say, look, I told you, they're knuckleheads. Look at how they respond. They're vicious and angry and vile. No. The apostle says, keep your behavior excellent. Why? That's your testimony. Your patient, kind, careful love for even your most vicious adversaries. The the Apostle Paul follows the teaching of Christ when Christ says, do good to those who spitefully use you. Pray for those who persecute you. 
He says, so that on account of your good deeds as they observe them, they will glorify God in the day of visitation. Part of God's economy has always been that the church shines brightest when the world appears the darkest. That's part of how God works things. And so this darkness that's encroaching on you should not put you into a panic mode. It should put you into a, an evangelism mode with sweet, loving, patient, kind, well-intended, careful dialogue, sharing the gospel with everyone. This is the time your beliefs will be questioned. And Peter says, always be ready to give an answer to those. So what do we do? Well, I broke this down into just a few parts. Number one is pray. I want to read a quote from Oswald Chambers that highlights the importance. Prayer does not equip us for greater works. Prayer is the greater work. Yet we think of prayer as some common sense exercise of our higher powers that simply prepares us for God's work. In the teachings of Jesus Christ, prayer is the working of the miracle of redemption in me, which produces the miracle of redemption in others through the power of God. The way fruit remains firm is through prayer. But remember that it is prayer based on the agony of Christ in redemption, not on my own glory. We must go to God as His child, as his child because only a child gets his Prayers answered, a wise man does not. See Matthew eleven twenty five. Prayer is the battle, and it makes no difference wherever you are. However God may engineer your circumstances, your duty is to pray. Do not believe, do not believe that we're going to change things by political pressure. It hasn't worked yet. It's not going to start. Prayer is our place to bring change. Number two, prepare yourselves. If you want to read two good stories, I don't have time for them now, but that'd be great for you. Go to the book of Acts and read how one group of people respond to Peter's sermon, and one group of people responds to Stephen's sermon. When you pray and you do what you're supposed to do, you're going to need to be prepared for two kinds of responses. One kind of response is the response Peter received when he preached the gospel and the people ran and said, Brethren, what, what should we do? And Peter said, Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. But then Stephen preached the same gospel to a group. And they rushed at him with their fingers in their ear with a loud voice, and they stoned him. You need to prepare yourself. That if you live your life out as a Christian, and you give the gospel as you should, there's two kinds of responses the Scripture says you may experience other than just plain indifference. Third, prepare others. I was reading an article this week and realized that... Uh, Someone posted that the soldiers that were just sent to go down into the zone where the Ebola is active in Africa were only given a four-hour training class to prepare them for that. And there was outrage from the soldiers, from their families, from uh, officials who cared about it. There was outrage, and the result was um, some ruffled feathers. I, 
you're about to send your children and your grandchildren, your spouses, your parents, and your Sunday school class, you're about to send them out into a war against an enemy who does not care what he does to get his way done. He is a thief who comes only to kill and steal and destroy. And he does not mind doing that to your family. Prepare your children. Prepare your family. Prepare your class. Prepare those in your care. Prepare your friends. Prepare yourself because this is a serious battle and and it may linger for decades or it may ramp up in my lifetime. But when you look around and half the congregation here is under 52, what they're going to see is different from those of us 52 and up. And part of our job as those who are 52 and up is to make really sure that we prepared the 52 and under to face what was coming. Finally, number four, preach the gospel. That's the one thing that this is all about. Satan just wants you to be quiet. That's all. And if you're being quiet, he's got you right where he wants you. He doesn't need the church in California. He doesn't need the school system in California. He doesn't need the Hillsong group and its ambivalence. And he doesn't need the Houston legal department. He's already got you if you've shut up you're not proclaiming and preaching the gospel you're no threat and so I want us to do those things today and commit to them but I want us to do it from one particular perspective and that is as a group of people who have committed ourselves to Jesus Christ and so what does that mean to commit yourself to Jesus it's, it's really simple it's not easy but it's simple You were made by a holy and good God with perfect intent. But you rebelled by sinning against Him, breaking His commands and His laws. And in your conscience, you know you've done it, and you are a guilty sinner in His presence. And there is only one remedy. Going to church won't fix it. Being moral won't fix it. Philosophies won't fix it. Only Jesus can. And so God sent himself, his son, who was born of a virgin, wore real human skin, and lived perfectly in your place doing what you should have done but didn't. And then he died sacrificially in your place, suffering what you ought to suffer. And then he was raised from the dead. And he is the king of the universe. He is the God of all creation. He's the Savior of all men. And if you would repent of your sins and place your faith in Him right now, He will forgive you and save you. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I know I've sinned. I am that person. I know you made me. I owe allegiance and obedience to you, but I've sinned. I know that my sin deserves punishment and death, and hell. But I, I, I hear this message that Jesus Himself came and lived 
the way I should have and didn't. And I believe that. And that he died the way I ought to, but yet haven't. And I believe that. And that he was raised from the dead. I believe that. And so because of that, I repent. And I receive Jesus as my Savior. Save me, O God. The Bible says to you who've just prayed that, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You should let others know. Now, as we stand this morning, maybe you'll come forward and share with one of our staff. And maybe you'll begin today here at the front of the church on your knees with me with the very first thing we ought to do in response to these things. Let's pray together. Would you stand? Would you come?